This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Hey, welcome to EM Weekly Show and this is your host Todd DeVoe and I have uh, with me uh, producer Brian Colburn and uh, we're going to have a great conversation today just regarding the uh, the protests and, and everything that's going on in, in in the world realistically, right, with, with this whole thing. A very interesting uh, turn of events that's been going on. You know, um, we're doing a special live show specifically because of the dynamic uh, movement of, of everything that's going on. And, you know, I'm over here on the West Coast. Uh, we're watching uh, Santa Monica. We're watching L.A., uh, San Diego, uh, San Francisco, Oakland, uh, all, the, all the major cities um, over here in California that have been hit. Uh, we've had protests in Orange County, California, where, where we're broadcasting from, uh, although not as big. Uh, as you've seen in the in the larger cities, and of course New York City, Philadelphia, DC is going off. We're going to have a long conversation about what's going on in DC. Um, obviously, in Minneapolis, where everything uh, started specifically on this event, and I, I have a different take on it um, that I think um, most people have, at least most people in the media, have articulated uh, the causes and and whatnot on on this particular protest and and yes the the flashpoint uh was definitely george floyd uh being murdered um but i think there's a little bit more to this than that you know we've all seen the video of george floyd or most of us have if you haven't seen it um it's it's out there for the, it's out there to be seen and new york times actually did a really good um synopsis of it and I, i'm not a new york times fan uh, but they did a really good synopsis of it, showing video from different angles and what happened. And I actually walked away from that, that video, and I don't know about you, Brian, with more questions than, than answers of, of what the hell happened uh, during, uh, during that, that stop and, and, and uh, subsequently led to the death of, of George Floyd. You know, uh, Derek Chauvin um, has been uh, charged with second-degree murder. Uh, the other three officers that have been involved um, have been charged with aiding and abetting accessory to murder, um, which is with the second degree murder charge being put placed on on uh, uh, Chauvin uh, creates that as a as a felony um, as well. Um, they've all been uh, arrested and taken into custody, and at this time, as far as I know, and, and Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think any of them have been uh, released on bail, but have been moved to isolation. Correct? Uh, I think the bail hearing is set today for the three. Um, mm-hmm. bail was given to the main offender, but, uh, he's not in bail. He's still in custody as far as I know. You know, what's interesting is, is the situation that killed or not the situation, but the tactic that killed, uh, George Floyd, um, has been deemed, um, since 19, I think it was 98 or 99, somewhere in there, uh, in California, the no longer to be able to be used on suspects so what was happening before is uh you know they, they hog tie somebody who's been combative which is tying their hands behind their back and their legs together right so if you think about that and then throwing them in the uh in the back of the police car and it's 
there were lots of incapacity deaths created by this called positional asphyxiation. And um, even so much so that even as working in, in as a medic, uh, you know, if you throw somebody who's combative and you put them on a backboard and you kind of sandwich them on the, on the thing, uh, that was killing people as well. So the positional asphyxiation has been known for a long time to be something um, that as soon as the person's compliant, you need to set them up. And, uh, and obviously um, putting your knee uh, on somebody's neck for that long period of time, um, you, you know, uh, creates badness, right? Or, 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 you know, and we've seen this, this happen just recently in Dallas as well um, with a mental patient who uh, actually called 911 because he knew he was off his drugs. He knew that he was having some issues um, and he died uh, as they were waiting for the, uh, for the ambulance. Um, so within a few months of each other, uh, we've had two in custody deaths with the same tactic, if you will. Um, the, the, the difference between the two is, is one made national media and the other one, the other one didn't. Um, and, uh, and the other one, 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 no one said anything about, and the other one caused, has caused, um, civil unrest throughout the United States and the world for that matter. So, you know, so the actions of these officers, um, has sparked the violence. And the question is, is what is the role of, of law enforcement? What is the role of public safety? You know, and, and what is the role of emergency management in general? Um, during these uh, times of of crisis, and that's kind of what we're gonna discuss a little bit about it here. Um, Brian, like I said, he's the executive producer of the E Weekly Show. I asked him to be on today because uh, obviously he's uh, he's been paying attention, and he has his own show uh, called the OC. Uh, oh, sorry, Drive Time OC. Um, which is a, a hyper-local um, radio show here in Orange County. And uh, with this morning, uh, we were discussing um, how, to, how to protect yourself um, from during times of, of civil unrest. What I mean by that is, you know, the civilian, the person out there who doesn't need to be involved in anything, doesn't want to be involved, uh, kind of keeping the situational awareness going on uh, so they don't get caught up um, in these situations. So, uh, yeah, people Brian, get caught what, up in the right? melee, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I have a question for you. I don't know if you saw it, but did you see that that truck driver who they arrested? Um, you know, they said that he was driving through the crowd, but it's really just looked like from the video I've seen that he wasn't trying to drive through anybody. I mean, he started honking his horn way, 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 way back and was trying to stop. I mean, it's, big rigs don't stop on a dime. They're not they're right. not a Honda Civic. Right. You know, I mean, like, do you think that he was trying to hurt people? I mean, I, I mean. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, like I said earlier this morning on my show is um, it's easy to sit back and armchair quarterback this. Mm. Um, we're seeing, in my opinion, what the media wants us to see. And in my opinion, they're biased. And it's easy to sit back and go, ooh, ah. but, you know, we've learned from cases in the past that camera angle, um, the lack of audio, um, mm-hmm. you know, really plays a role in in the perception that people may have over what's truly going on. Um, but, you know, whether he was or wasn't, you know, we, we don't know what was in his heart and mind at the time. 
you know, we know big rigs don't stop on a dime like you mentioned. There was another video I saw where I believe it was a FedEx truck, a double trailer, was people were jumping on trying to open up the back and loot from the back of this trailer. And he started driving away and a protester got caught up in between the two trailers. Mm. You know, we've seen we've seen so much. And again, it's easy to sit back and speculate of what was going on. But do we truly know what's going on in their heart, in their mind at the time? given the limited information we have and what we're just seeing. Yeah. I mean, yesterday in Newport beach, um, a guy in a mini Cooper drove through a crowd and his first, um, the fence that he told, talked to the officers was, Hey, I was, I was fearful for my life. I was running. I, I they started hitting my car. Uh, the video doesn't really support that. Now, right. you know, was he trying to do like a, I mean, it's a mini Cooper. You know, what was he trying to do? Like what happened in Charlotte? You know, uh, I mean, like literally this is, this is kind of funny and funny in the, in a comedic way, but funny and ironic way. Uh, the guy who's running through the crowd in a mini Cooper was stopped because a guy threw his bicycle in his window. You know, that's, that's, that's what stopped him. Um, so that means I don't think anybody was hurt uh, in, in that. I don't know. Didn't see anything in the news saying that anybody was hurt. But this is not the first time we've, we've seen this happen multiple times during protests. The protesters go on on the street and, um, you know, to close down the freeway. Um, you know, I, I mean, that's dangerous in itself, right? I mean, how many times when you were running ambulance, how many times have we run calls where people are trying to cross the freeway and get, get hit? Yeah, you know? it's not a wise decision. You know, um, so so what do we do? I mean, and. And I guess my thing is let's let's go let's rewind this a little bit and why we're here on Ian Weekly talking about this is we as emergency managers have to have um, whether it's an annex or in a plan of some sort uh, really be involved in the planning process for um, civil unrest and I, I wrote a piece that I haven't I haven't produced yet and I'm going to post it um, after after today. And I named it protecting our first amendment rights and responding to civil unrest is not a mutual is not mutually exclusive. And I I go into just talking about, you know, the fact of the matter is that most of the time during these protests, you have two, two distinct um, groups. And uh, a friend of mine uh, who's a professor at, at Long Beach, and I were discussing this the other day, Long, Cal State Long Beach, were discussing this uh, yesterday. And he, he he said there's two shifts, right, and during this protest. He said there's the day shift and the night shift. And in the day shift is the, the, the people who want the voices to be heard, and they're going down to City Hall and to the police station. You know, um, I had a protest in my city uh, that was completely nothing happened. I mean, they had three officers out to to – yeah, you know, that's what we did, right? Now, I mean, mind you, I'm a smaller town in uh, uh, in North Orange County. Um, you know, it's a bedroom community basically, and uh, they they marched from the little mall area that we have. It's not a mall; it's the outdoor area, movie theaters and stuff. To City Hall, um, and did uh, did the silent protest over there, and they were done. As probably took them maybe an hour total. You know, Brian, you took video of kids just walking down the street by your office the other day, right? Yeah, yeah, that was yesterday. And 
you know what's interesting is the fact that it seems like a lot of the peaceful protests have little to no PD anywhere in sight. Mm. But again, that's the perception of the video clips that the media is feeding us. You know, they, they could be there. They could be just off camera. Todd, do you remember there were some images we were talking about photography and perspective and it were, it was uh, Marines getting off of helicopters and, you know, they were laying down in the prone and rifle over their backpack and, and sitting there and it just looked like a war zone. And then the same photographer stepped back and took a shot of the surrounding area. And there was other press there and there was family there. It was a dog and pony show. Right. Same situation, different angle, completely different meaning or interpretation of that same photo. Sure, sure. You know, and I, I caution people to keep that in mind when when you're seeing something on TV or when you're seeing a video. Um, you know, there's there's my story, Todd's story, and somewhere in between is the truth. You know, you know. I, I mean, speaking of that too, and there's been some super lazy journalism going on. Um, and uh, I, I saw a post where the news media put a picture of Philadelphia and it looked like Philadelphia was just on fire. Right. And uh, and it was right. I mean, the photograph was, and then (laughs) come to find out it was a stock image from a trailer of world war Z, um, where they use that same exact photo, uh, or, or the video uh, in world war Z to, to show Philadelphia burning. So it was CGI, right. You know, and, and, and it's like, that's lazy. I mean, it's that's some that's some intern looking for a photograph and just going through stock images, going, "Oh, I look at this is on fire," and 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 posting it and not doing the research on it. But the thing is, you know, when media does that, it it, um, it reduces their their um, effect, right? And it, it also makes you not trust necessarily oh, cred- what credibility's yeah. blown. Yeah, completely. You know, I mean, remember three weeks ago when it was the beaches in orange County and it was a photograph taken from the ground and it looked like hundreds of people. And then the same time and day from a police helicopter, they take an image and everyone was well dispersed, Mm -hmm. you know, same situation, roughly the same time. And again, completely different interpretations of the same situation just because of angle. You know what I find interesting too, and just in the conversations with with people that are people having, and even the news media, um, as they're covering these protests, um, you know, even the peaceful side of it, uh, it's very, it's, I don't say positive, it's not, not the word I'm looking for, but uh, definitely not negative, right? And they haven't questioned the need to protest, right? When, and I never question the need to protest. By the way, I, I think that the First Amendment, in my piece, protecting our First Amendment, is is crucial as as people as servants of the, in public agencies um the it is crucial for us to protect the constitutional given rights that we have right and first amendment being the first one and and the idea is that how as emergency managers what we can do to facilitate the peaceful expression um in the first amendment and i think that's very important for us to do and and we need to take that seriously you know but going back to the protests that were happening, and and again, I'm not, I'm not giving any value judgment 
at all to to either side, either any of these protests, right? In this case here, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with anything that's happening here. I'm talking specifically the practical application of what we do in our craft as emergency managers, and 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 protecting the First Amendment right, free speech, and for um, how do we plan for these? So in um, various different areas, and the Newport Beach one is a very good example. The different protests that have occurred where they were um, asking for um, the economy to be opened up. And you hear the pundits saying, oh, well, this is very, um, uh, you know, short-sighted on these people's parts. You know, they're out there protesting. They're not wearing masks. Um, They are endangering grandma. Uh, They have all this. This is some of the stuff that's being said. And then turn around to these protests. And these are just weeks after. It's not even like months or whatever. This is just literally a couple of weeks after the people in Michigan um, were out there doing their thing. And, and these people are out protesting without masks and you don't hear the same criticism coming out um, from, from the media. So I found, I just found that kind of uh, one of those interesting facts. I'm like, huh, you know, um, you, and then the funny part about it is it's like the other comparison that they had is like, well, why weren't, you know, the law enforcement, you know, tear gassing these guys that were standing on the streets as on the on the um, capital of this was in Michigan, um, you know, because they had you know guns and whatnot, and they should have been tear gassing them as well. And, and again, I think the circumstances are a little bit different, um, where you're not seeing the peaceful protesters in in LA. I can't talk about every single city, but what I've been following, I haven't seen the peaceful protesters being tear gassed. Um, and I know Brian, you talked about this morning about them being rounded up, but uh, I, I wanted to tell you, but I wasn't able to jump back on, is that a, that's a tactic that these particular organizi- organizers are using to um, they want to overwhelm um, the uh, the jail system right. with so that's why they want hundreds and hundreds of people to be arrested. And these people that are being arrested right now have have um, stated that they're willing to be arrested for the causes of misdemeanor. Yeah. Um, failure to disperse, and so the it's a it's planned for them. It's 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 a part of this um, protest is to for them to be arrested. So it's not like the PD's picking on these poor peaceful protesters and not the. Uh, oh, and, th- and that that's not how I implied that. How I implied it is two blocks away, they're looting. Yeah. Right. No. And, no. No. Absolutely. And it. If if you're there to protect and serve, where's the most good going to come from? You know, rounding up somebody who wants to go to jail or <laughs> turning the corner and stopping looting. Right. And I think, I, I mean, again, I don't think that there's two separate things. I think that, uh, you know, you can, I don't know. I mean, I think that that has to be done. I mean, they're obviously they're taking space up of the road. Um, they're, they're doing this on purpose. They park vehicles in a way that uh, vehicles that other cars. So they, they, par- they actually, the protesters smartly. So parked vehicles. So the road was blocked. So basically putting the safety vehicles in there, they put themselves inside that barrier so that they knew they weren't going to get run over, sat in the ground and put their hands up over their heads and said, okay, we're, we're, we're willing to be arrested. And uh, again, it's a show of defiance, um, but well planned. And I, this goes, this, this kind of parallels into my point here. When you have the organizers and uh, of these events, you you can quickly and they they self identify as, as as leaders, right? Um, in some cases, when it's a an organized protest that we know it's going to occur, such as a planned protest, um, you know where they take permits out and whatnot, 
we, we know who's who's doing this. And I think that as emergency managers, number one, if you're not in that room, you need to make sure that you are in that room um, when they're doing the planning for these protests. Because um, we could be that neutral third party. Um, people, people don't necessarily know what we do, <laughs> which it's a, it's a, it could be a good thing in this case where we can walk into the room with the protest organizers and say, Hey, how you doing? My name is Todd DeVoe. I'm the city emergency manager. Um, you know, I'm here to, uh, you know, discuss with you how this protest is going to go down. Uh, what, what your goals are, objectives are, what the rules are and, and put the rules of engagement out. And, and, um, you know, again, talking to, uh, uh, to Joe, um, yesterday, you know, he's very politically active. He goes to these protests. He's a little bit left leaning, uh, very, you know, that, that way. And, uh, so he's, you know, he's marched a few of these things and I asked him what it's like to be on the ground marching. And he's like, yes, you know, in these planned protests are very well organized. Um, they, they have routes that are defined. Um, they have, they have people that are on the, um, sidewalk reminding you to be nice to each other and to, uh, you know, not incite anything. And this is where, where you're going. And it's, and again, it's, it's very well done. You know, when it comes to, you know, the looters, that's a whole different story. And this is where I go into the idea that, you know, protecting the first amendment, right. Protecting those protesters, those that have grievances that they want to get out, you know, they're standing, they, they can say what they want to say. They could yell at us. We're paid, you know, the, the law enforcement officers that are in the front line, um, they could yell at them all they want. They could say what they want. Now, the thing is that we have to pay attention to are the agitators, right? And we've seen this in the May Day uh, protests um, a few years ago when uh, LAPD, um, you know, they're at Lamert Park. Um, they uh, uh, called for this was a, uh, you know, the assembly is, is now unlawful. Um, and at this point, the black box, the, the anarchist started chucking rocks and, and bottles full of urine, um, at law enforcement, but the visual is really poor because the, the black box, the, these people have tactics, right? They, they, they practice this stuff. Uh, and so now they're two, three rows behind women and children. And so when LAPD went out to go get the, the bad guys, it looks like they're putting sticks on, on women and children. Uh, who are there to protest. And and so, you, you know, understanding that we, we have, and, and they learn from that, right? If you look at the protest today, when they give the order to disperse, they're waiting 45 minutes or so, maybe a little bit longer sometimes. And they're waiting for those who don't want to be involved in the melee to leave. And then now they know it, it does two things. One is it reduces the number of people that are in the streets. And the second thing is then, you know, who's left over are the ones that are either, are willing to be arrested and they probably won't fight you or are ready to rumble. Right. And so you're prepared to take on, on those tasks. And I think when it comes to this, now you're seeing that bifurcation. And like you're saying earlier, Brian, of the peaceful protesters that are sitting down the road with their hands up, you know, getting ready to be arrested. And then two blocks over the, the agitators that are, you know, there to, to cause problem. And I, I would venture to say in this case that the agitators probably would be there to agitate no matter what and um aren't really there for uh the protest of of the death of of george floyd what do you say i i completely agree i think i think the agitator wants to hit and run so he can come back and hit again somewhere else or later on 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if they're cornered, they're going to continue to agitate. But, you know, it's it's at the end of the day, there are subsets out there. We have those that want to protest the death. And we have those that are using this as an opportunity to, you know, obtain merchandise to sell on offer up. Yep. And, then, and then we have those that want to go out and destroy property and hurt other people. And and those other people being peace officers. And, you know, it's it's a complicated situation. And even if you're on the ground, you're not going to get the whole story. You know, absolutely. I know a young lady who was in L.A. protesting this weekend. And when they turned a corner and came across a burning police car, yeah, it's time to go. And, and right. they they left and sought safety, um, which, in my opinion, is a good decision because, you know, I've said it on the other show. If you look like a duck and it's duck season, you yeah. know, bad things are, are, are going to happen. So that's that's my view. Let's take a quick break. I'm here from our advertisers. And when we come back, I want to discuss engaging the community after the protest, what the recovery looks like, and some of the community groups that are already stepping forward to clean up. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately better matters because lives matter and thank you for listening to our sponsor and without them we could not put on the quality shows that we've been putting on and and absolutely couldn't put this live show on and you know hit them up talk to them say hey i heard you on the weekly and then you want to hear learn more about the product because as you know actually during these times right now of of trouble you know, communicating with the community, uh, right, is is huge. And Titan HST allows you to do that seamlessly in two-way communication. And in some cases, um, you know, they you can actually do uh, a little bit more and, and get information back from them as well. So I think it's a great tool. And uh, reach out to Titan HST and tell them you heard them here on EM Weekly. And they've got a great team. Everybody at Titan's wonderful. And uh, we appreciate uh, our relationship that we have with them. Um, so thank you everybody at Titan. <laughs> Absolutely. And they have good cookies at the, uh, during the, uh, at the, uh, uh, demonstration, not demonstration, at the, uh, oh my gosh, lost my mind at the expos and stuff that you guys will all be going to. So when if Titan HST is, is that expo go there, they have great cookies. So, yeah. They do. Um, so going into that, so we're talking about the community and, and what it looks like. It was so funny because, uh, watching some of the, the protest videos and stuff, uh, it's kind of weird when you start recognizing people that you know on both sides of the on both sides of the protest. It's kind of blows my mind a little bit sometimes. You're, and uh, yesterday, I saw some video from Santa Monica with the CERT team out there, the Community Emergency Response team out there, uh, painting over graffiti, cleaning up broken glass, and just really being involved. Um, in clean up Santa Monica. Do you need an uninterrupted conference call? I have an uninterrupted conference call. <laughs> we have an uninterrupted <laughs> conference call coming on. Uh, so, um, uh, and then, and then Long Beach, uh, they, uh, they, the community members came out uh, in Long Beach. Uh, Santa Ana 
um, had community members coming out. So I, I think that part of the healing process uh, for the community after such an event uh, is, is engaging the community by having them help rebuild. And uh, I know, Brian, you're saying that you had some trepidation of businesses that, you know, felt that they were not protected reopening, but do you, does the community coming out and helping uh, rebuild kind of take away that pain? You know, I, I think it does, but at the end of the day, it's a dollar and cents decision. You know, I mean, I was watching news footage of a local grocery store. It's the only grocery store in the community. You know, we've heard about food deserts before. You've talked about the lack of fresh food in some neighborhoods. And this neighborhood market that this community shops at was destroyed. Mm. And I mean, citizens sweeping aisles of just broken glass and food all over the place down the aisles, past the registers, and out the front door. And, you know, they said they were going to rebuild. But at the end of the day, A, it's money, dollars and cents. Do we have enough insurance? Can we afford to rebuild? Number two, do we want to rebuild in a community that allowed this to happen? And and that's, I, I think that's, a question of the heart, not the mind. But I mean, you see some of the destruction in Santa Monica that occurred. And it's like, if I were Patagonia, would I want to open up a store in Santa Monica again? And and, and for those of you that, that don't know Santa Monica necessarily, you know, from, from out the the world here that are listening today and the Santa Monica, the areas that got, that got hit were very, very upscale. And like Patagonia, which, you know, the reason why it's called Patagucci, right? Um, REI uh, was was hit. Some of some of the higher end stores like that were completely decimated. And Brian's right. You know, I I was watching some of the footage where cars were pulling up, like like they were coordinating, right? And so the cars were pulling up, and people were running out of the stores and stuffing so much stuff in the cars that they couldn't close the trunk, right? And and you know they're reselling that stuff. This is not this is not people that are there to protest. You know Floyd being being killed. They're they're looking to to make some money off of off the death of this of this man, uh, which really kind of irritates the crap out of me. But um, you know. But that being said, you know you know a guy. You have a friend of yours that's a store manager for a Columbia outlet, right? You know, and and talk a little bit about that. You know he was down with contractors boarding up. Um... Fortunately, it held night one, uh, day two, he went back to reinforce, but neighboring stores, you know, and this is right near the convention center, Todd, you and I left the convention center or would meet at the old Dubliner for mm-hmm. breakfast before IEM right. and, and they broke into the old Dubliner and, and trashed the bar and those it's again, back to the point of a, can we afford it? B. Do I want to rebuild here if I can afford it? Right. And, and everybody who's listening, if you guys are have gone to the IEM conference in Long Beach, the area that got hit was right where where all of our activities uh, for the conference happened. Yep. You know, uh, the old Dubliner across the street, the, the hotels right uh, there, the hotels, the, all the, the restaurants, the Pike, the Pike Place, the where the um, the aquarium is in Pacific, all that stuff um, was was impacted. Did, did they go into the aquarium? I was wondering that. I didn't see that. You know, I did not see nor hear about the aquarium um, B 
being breached. Um, it, it appears that down there, I did not personally see any footage of graffiti like we've seen everywhere else. And hopefully they didn't. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, I could just see these people going in and trying to break the glass. And yeah, me too. The, you know, it's a beautiful aquarium. Um, gorgeous. Yeah. But I did not hear of. So I actually like the, the aquarium, the Pacific better than Monterey. So I'm just going to put that out there. So yeah, I know everybody in Monterey is probably throwing rocks at me right now, but uh, <laughs> it's just my opinion, right? But but yeah, I mean, like, I, but going back to the community groups, um, you know, do there's always this debate on on do we use like cert, right? Like, what what is the role of the community emergency response team? You know, and and sometimes using them outside of the traditional what you think of the role is of of the disaster response, um. Do you, um, you know, cert? Like, do you cert to go and help with the cleanup? You know, I, I I think a good use of cert would be maybe coordinating cleanup, helping with logistics, um, setting up first aid, hydration stations, cooling stations. But I think that getting the community alongside peace officers cleaning up is going to do instill more pride in that community. And it might act as a deterrent in the future. Mm. My opinion, if people come in and if people come in and destroy and then other people come in and clean up, you know, and not, not every citizen's going to go down and volunteer. However, you know, the, the leadership will, in my opinion. And I think side by side, solidarity will go a long way. You know, in, in Santa Ana, um, the morning after, I got to witness um, police cruisers slow rolling down the street on the PA, thanking the citizens of Santa Ana for coming out and cleaning up. Now, I'm not sure what time the protest broke up that evening. But the next morning, the early news reports, broken windows, graffiti down. I mean, this is probably a 400-foot wall and graffiti all the way down it. By 1 p.m., pristine. Mm. The graffiti was gone. There was a gentleman out there that uh, does a car wash service out of his van. He was out there pressure washing graffiti on the on the retail side of the street. And... I think it's cool. And some of the, some of the peace officers stopped, they got out of their car. They were thinking and speaking with the community and Todd, you and I have had the conversation. I'm a firm believer. Cops need to live in the community that they police and they need to get out of their car and learn who's on the beat and right. walk and talk. And, and without those relationships, you know, it's them and us. If there's a relationship there, it's Bill. Right. You know, it's not the cop, it's Bill. You know, it's funny, I, I, I use this example, and I know it's Hollywood or, I guess, Broadway, but the, the you know, West Side Story, where they go, hey, you know, um, uh, you know, Officer Grumpke or whatever his name is, they had the whole little song about him, and that's the beat cop, and, and he, he knew the kids, right? You know, and and, and that, was, that was written that way, because that's the way the beat cops were in New York back in the day, you know, they... They, they knew the kids, whether right or wrong, right? But they, you know, uh, I remember as a kid, 
that uh, I got in trouble one time and, you know, I was more afraid of getting in trouble with my dad after finding out. I mean, then I was <laughs> from getting the ticket from the, I was speeding. That's what I was doing. And instead of getting a ticket, they, they brought me to my dad, told him, told him what, what I was doing. That was the and, worst, man. Me in one yeah. hand and my BB gun in the other of a deputy walking me home. And I'm yeah. just like, oh, man. And, and you know, I, and I, the guy lived in my, the guy, the guy who got me, you know, lived in my neighborhood and, and, uh, you know, I've knew him since I was a kid and, right. you know, it's, you know, it was officer Cox was his name and, you know, and yeah, I knew I went to school with his daughter and it's yeah. like, yeah, you know, you know them. It's like, you, you're not, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different time and I, small town, right? Again, it's not, not LA city, but you know, the, if you break into neighborhoods, it could be that way. But anyway, we're kind of, I want to go back to SERP, right? Should we, um, or could, I think so. And this is my opinion. I think that we should actually add the cert or the volunteer programs into our plan on the recovery because um, the recovery portion of what we do, right? And if you take a look at, at, at most complaints that we've had for natural disasters or any kind of things, right? It's not necessarily the response, right? The, the law enforcement officers, the, the firefighters, the EMS, you know, they go out and they do what they're doing. Um, but at the end of the day, when people get really agitated is fixing it and making it whole again. And if we talk about community resilience, right, that part of it, um, I think using the volunteer programs and using programs like CERT, and if you don't use CERT, whatever volunteer programs that you have in your community, you know, using them to to go and help with the repairs, help with not necessarily the repairs like building glass in a building again, but at least cleaning up and, and making those your local businesses are feeling good. The Walmarts, the Targets, the Lowe's, those people, they have teams that are going to do it, right? But I'm talking about the mama pop shops, the delis, the the um, uh, you know the dry cleaners, and and all those type of of businesses that necessarily uh, need the help, right? You know, um, we're going through COVID right now, and we're losing uh, businesses left and right to COVID, and Basically, after an event, you're losing about one in four businesses will close, um, you know, due to due to the crisis. Now, let's add this. We're just about to open up here in, in, in Orange County and in, in, in L.A. Add this protest to this and where the businesses are now damaged. How many of them can open up again? Yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be economically devastating. I mean, if you closed and lost months worth of business because of covid and then your store's trashed and your inventory's gone mm-hmm. and I, it's not going to be good and and you know what recovery you todd you and i had a conversation a long time ago regarding the ninth ward in louisiana yeah and its state and then there was the tsunami that hit thailand and 12 months later, it was a beautiful resort again. You know, hotels rebuilt. I mean, and it, recovery seems to be something we don't do well. Yeah, um, you're right. And and I have to, uh, that's been one of my things as, as a, when I moved into education and, and teaching, um, you know, I teach recovery. And, and I think that we do have, um a lot of work to do um, in the recovery section specifically, you know, and I think there's, 
there's different things about it. One is it's just the way that we we function, but there's also I I think recovery starts with resilience, right? And what I mean by this, I know it seems to be like a, like the buzzword, oh resilience, you know. I mean the the uh, uh, the Rockefeller Foundation came out with the 100 really resilient cities, you know, and it, there's a lot of buzz around it. And but I kind I and, and did I bite, you know, did I drink the Kool Aid with the resiliency? Maybe. Right, and you can you know call me guilty on it, right? But the the concept of it is just is is brilliant that we are looking at recovery prior to recovery, and we're bringing the community in to that process before the great earthquake occurs or whatever, right? And and so when we look at some of our our failures in recovery, it's local businesses aren't insured, right? Because it's it's an it's an expense and it's a risk, right? And so they go okay. Should I be insured? Should I not? And so that really kind of puts us behind the eight ball. And we don't have huge, and I don't don't think we need to have, by the way, we don't have huge government expenditures on recovery necessarily. You know, where where you take a look at Sumatra and you take a look at, you know, um, Penang and what, it wasn't necessarily the local government, or I mean the local business that recovered. The government put a lot of money into it and we're just not built that way, you know. Right or wrong, again, not value judging. I'm just saying this is what the what the facts on the ground are. So, you know, we could we do a better job? You know, we do have small business administration loans and things like this that can help out. You know, but at the end of the day, um, the statistics bear out that wonderful. And most of those small businesses that that close uh, are are um, are women owned minority businesses, all right? Hair salons rest you know dry cleaners things like that that where people could quickly move on to somebody else because if they're not open within like three days i did the study back in in uh, 99 when i was an undergrad and it's somewhere along the lines of if they're not open within three days um people go and use those service services elsewhere you know um i mean it it is it it is what it is you know and and uh, that's what the statistics bear out um but but Again, we could do things prior to anything happening to help with um, with them. You know, there's go behind here. I have a book over here that's like a little. It's kind of a a pamphlet book that you can hand out to people that actually steps them through how to um, how to do a recovery plan uh, for small businesses. And I think it's a it was I, I had her on on the show. And it was pretty amazing. So, anyway, I, I know we're uh, uh, I know we're getting here close to the end. We ran over a little bit more than normally, about almost ten minutes or so. Uh, the conversation was great, and I know we got to get going. I do appreciate everybody being here with us today, uh, Brian. I appreciate you coming on the show in the last second here to to have the conversation that we have because I know this is very painful for everybody. Um, you know, it's painful for the communities that are being affected. It's it's painful for the family who lost George Floyd. It's painful for uh, the community, um, you know, that's especially the African-American community who feels that their voices are never heard. Um, and, you know, now we have another death um, in custody. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we need to work through, you know. Um, I don't necessarily agree with some of the tactics that are being out there, especially with the looting and whatnot. But, you know, we have, we're hearing this. And as... As um, um, public servants, uh, I think that we can learn from this. And I think we need to plan for more, you know, and I think that if if we can have open dialogue and open communication 
um, we can avoid the um, the tragedy uh, that's here. Brian? I, I completely agree. We have a long way to, to come. Um, you know, I... And, and question for you, and excuse my ignorance, I'm not an emergency manager. Where are they? I, I, I know they're not the PIO and the mayor seem to be getting all the spotlights, but it would be cool to see a city EM out in front and talking about this. It would be cool to work relations into an EM plan. Speaking of resiliency, you know, what can, I mean, you guys do national nights out. Cool. Law enforcement, fire, community, getting to know each other. We need more of that. You know, I mean, a lot of cities now are coffee with cops and, you know, they're doing things in local communities so you can, you know, put a name to the face and it's not just the guy in the cop car with the blue lights. Um, we need more of that and, and we need dialogue. We need meaningful dialogue, you know, um, my opinion, uh, again, cops need to walk a beat, park the car, walk the park. Absolutely. Well, until next week, everybody, it's been a pleasure, and uh, stay safe. Take care.